0: Welcome to the Compliance Plus Ethics Equals Integrity podcast, featuring Barry Dunn Healthcare Practice Group professionals and expert guests discussing their insights into contemporary as well as perennial healthcare regulatory, revenue integrity, general compliance, and risk management topics. My name is Robin Hoffman. I'm a Senior Compliance and Credentialing Manager in Barry Dunn's Healthcare Practice Group. I'm very pleased to be joined for this episode by one of my colleagues, Senior Consultant Dr. Tricia Lee. We are very honored to be joined as well by a guest today who is a Compliance and Privacy Officer in a federally qualified health center, Linda Green. The title of our podcast is Maintaining HIPAA Privacy in a World Filled with Online Reviews. Before we get into our discussion, a quick disclaimer. The content we discuss in this podcast is based on our professional experience advising healthcare providers, facilities, and other organizations engaging Barry Dunn for compliance and other services. While we may reference specific government programs, Medicare and Medicaid policies, and regulatory guidance we do not speak for any government agency or contractor, nor do we have the authority to do so. Nothing in this podcast should be considered legal advice. Anyone seeking legal advice on the subjects we discuss should consult their own attorney. Now I'm very pleased to introduce my colleague, Dr. Tricia Lee, who is a naturopathic physician with over 20 years of experience in healthcare. Trisha is certified in healthcare compliance by the Healthcare Compliance Association. As a naturopathic physician in Oregon, Trisha established an independent ambulatory practice, and she was responsible for all aspects of its clinical and administrative operations. Trish, since coming to Barry Dunn, you've provided expertise about HIPAA privacy to our clients. We are so fortunate to have you join our listeners today. Can you highlight some
1: of the types of services that you provide to our clients? Sure. Thanks for the introduction, Robin. I've been with very done for the last couple of years with my background as a physician, as well as a practice owner, along with my certifications in healthcare compliance. I've really found myself working in a variety of ways with our clients, everything from interim practice management to interim privacy officer, revenue cycle and rev integrity projects, I've helped practices in-source their HIM department. I've trained staff on HIPAA privacy. I've also helped in our coding and audit team, and I've also worked quite a bit with our clients under corporate integrity agreements. So kind of the full gamut.
0: Thanks so much, Trisha. That is so impressive. And now it's my pleasure to introduce our guest participant, Linda Green. Linda also brings a wealth of clinical background to her current role as the Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer and Director of Quality Improvement at a federally qualified health center in Rhode Island. Linda has had prior roles directing clinical operations at other federally qualified health centers in Rhode Island and Massachusetts. Linda, in addition to your current role as the uh, compliance and privacy officer, you maintain your clinical license as a nutritionist. Can you please share with our listeners some highlights about your work and how your clinical practice informs your work as a privacy officer?
2: Uh, Thank you, Robin, for inviting me to to discuss this important topic today. I've been working in this industry in healthcare for over 40 years. Um, Throughout my years, I've worked uh, to assure that my experience and knowledge has been um, able to be shared with my colleagues and my staff um, that I work with. So all of my experience over the years has really lended me to really share that and um, make sure that um, everyone understands the importance of HIPAA and privacy. Thanks so
0: much, Linda. We really appreciate it. Trisha. we talked recently about a privacy-related corrective action plan, as well as a $30,000 fine that was imposed by the Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights. This was based on a complaint that came in to the OCR from a patient who had received clinical care at a practice in the East Coast that offers adult and child psychiatric services. According to the Office for Civil Rights, the provider had impermissibly disclosed a patient's PHI in response to a negative online review that the patient had given about this provider. During the course of the Office for Civil Rights investigation into this patient complaint, they found that the provider had actually impermissibly disclosed the PHI of not one, but four patients. So Tricia, as a reminder for our listeners, we're throwing around a lot of hipaa ease terms here. Can you explain what is meant by an impermissible disclosure? Especially if the patient is the person who launched a discussion about their own care on the internet.
1: Sure. So impermissible disclosure is kind of what it sounds like. It's not having permission or authorization to release information. HIPAA is pretty clear on the requirements that are needed um, and how we need to protect patient health information um, and when and when we cannot disclose it. So. You know, a patient has the right to talk about their care in whatever platform they want, but it doesn't open the door for providers or anyone to respond to those patients um, in that format. So I think that's just really the key piece that we're talking about here.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. Really, when I read this OCR corrective action plan, it sort of leapt out of the computer screen at me because it was such an interesting case. And as we looked at the information that was involved in the corrective action plan that was associated with this case, we saw that the provider needed to revise their notice of privacy practices. So once again, we're using a lot of HIPAA terminology. And Trisha, I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners, what are the key elements of a notice of privacy practice or NOPP? And what should the NOPP address regarding social media?
1: Sure. So the NOPP is one of those forms that you usually are offered at your first office visit, or you should be. Um, and it really just lays out the foundation of what your rights are as a patient and how the practice or health, healthcare entity is able to use your information. So it's everything from patients having the right to get an, a copy of their medical record. It informs them that they can ask for a correction to their medical record if they see something that is an error. It talks about the, that they can request confidential communications, um, and limit certain things that are disclosed in certain circunsta- circumstances, excuse me. Um, it's, you know, all about, um, you know, what the patient can and cannot do or ask for from the office, as well as giving them the option to actually forge a complaint, both directly or through the OIG. Um, additionally, from the, the practice and healthcare side, it's all about how we're going to use your patient information. So we're going to use it for our treatment, operations, payment, um, if we have to because of public safety or we're required by the law. Um, It also describes, you know, the requirements that we have for maintaining privacy and security of your health information. And if there were to be a breach, you know, how we're going to notify you and and what that process is going to look like. I think the other key aspect of the NOPP that I've seen in in some of our clients is that there is this requirement under HIPAA that, one, it be offered at that first visit. So sometimes that's not happening at the the clients that I've been working with, that it needs to be posted on the website as well as clearly visible in registration areas. And so I think, you know, as we we are thinking about social media, it's really just how are you going to use that information and really being transparent and clear in a very simple way to let patients know what what you're going to do with their info.
0: Thanks so much, Tricia. And, you know, again, going into that corrective action plan that was associated with this complaint, the organization was also told by the Office for Civil Rights that they needed to revise their authorization form. And, Tricia, again, drawing on your experience at Barry Dunn, are there elements on authorization forms that you have found to be less than robust? What are some of these missing elements that you have seen?
1: I mean, I think for the most part, the authorizations I've seen have all the necessary components. You have, you know, who the patient is, what they're requesting, where it's going, et cetera. But I think it's always wise to ensure that there's a special care given to the more sensitive types of records. So anything related to sexual health, mental health, and substance use disorders, those usually require additional initials or signatures. Um, the other thing I see a lot is kind of that dreaded all medical records, um, selection. And I think it's really important to train staff to kind of inquire further. Is this really what you want your entire medical record? Or is there, you know, a specific period of time, something that you're after? Um, I know a lot of organizations have uh, multiple legacy systems that they're, you know, using and having to go back and and look through, um, as well as paper records. So I think when someone selects all, you know, HIPAA saying like they want it all and you're required to give it all. So um, really having those systems in play to be able to to get the authorization and, and get the records to them. And I think maybe slightly off, off topic here, but, um, you know, 21st century cures is kind of really complicated. Our medical release of information, um, patients can now request records in any form or format that you're capable of. There shouldn't be any barriers that are, you know, put um, between those patients getting their records. And so it's really kind of, you know, been problematic for offices to kind of change how they've been operating because, you know, patients can say, just email me. I don't care if it's, you know, if it's secure or not. Um, they can do verbal authorization and you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a signature from them to give them their records. So it's really kind of changed the, the whole operating dogma that we've been under for so many years. And I know it's, it's really a struggle and a challenge for a lot of clients.
0: Excellent. And I think, you know, a couple of points that you gave that really resonated for me is first of all, you're talking about in this particular corrective action plan, this was a clinician who provided adult and child psychiatric services. So once again, that is a very super protected set of health information. And then secondly, you've made that great point. And, and I have to say, I have worked in organizations where definitely there have been changes in the electronic health record system that was used by the organization. So thinking about, you know, how far back do you want this information to go? I think that is a critical training element for sure. You know, as as we looked at this whole question about, about negative online reviews, um, you know i did go in and look to see whether there was any information from any professional organizations and the american medical association has actually addressed this and trisha i know you looked at the ama's communications about this and from your vantage point i'm wondering if you can share what some of those key points were from the ama's communication and kind of how does that resonate with you as a clinician
1: yeah, I mean, I think it's only human nature to feel gutted when you receive a poor review. Um, you know, I think it's really important to remind yourself to pause, have some staff training on how to deal with it. Um, the AMA kind of outlined some some recommendations, and, and I agree. I mean, HIPAA doesn't say you can't respond, but it really talks about um, making sure that your responses are very canned and generic. You talk about general policies and, and protocols of the office. You really, you know, can't confirm or you know, that the patient was seen or that, you know, they're part of your practice, but really just giving them the opportunity that, yes, you're acknowledging their comment. Um, These are the policies and, and protocols we have within our office. And here's a number or a resource that you can contact us so that you can just take it offline. Excellent, Thank you. And that's where um, in talking about this corrective action
0: plan with Linda Green, Linda, I am so thrilled that you've joined us for this discussion today as a, uh, I'll say, boots to the ground compliance and privacy officer in a healthcare setting. And you talked about the work that you engage in with your organization's director of communications. And I'm wondering if you can share with our listeners How was this collaboration between you and communications sort of brought into being? Like, how did you make that real? And how do you sustain that?
2: Sure. Um, So as the chief compliance officer here um, at my organization, I'm responsible for assuring that um our organization complies complies with all fe- federal state um regulations we are a federally qualified health center so we are held accountable to the federal government for a lot of um requirements that we have to be in compliance with so working with our fabulous marketing communication team um i've they've learned to be able to communicate with me on what they feel is what they can share and what they cannot share. So they will definitely collaborate with me. Um, we just recently updated all of our um, brochures for our organization. Um, every single brochure came to me before it went out to the patients. Um, and anytime they have any questions with patients they're interviewing for videos, audio, um, they'll check with me, see what they need to do to make sure um, that they're in compliance with what we need to do. Do as an organization to comply with all our requirements. I have to report to a health resource service administration on an annual basis. What we do to comply with all the HIPAA and privacy regulations. So we make sure that we do. And I encourage staff, all staff, not only marketing communications to ask me a question. No question is a dumb question. I take everything as very important so that they can learn.
0: Thanks, Linda. And I have to say during my time as a corporate compliance officer at a federally qualified health center, honestly, the questions that came in were usually around HIPAA privacy and what was and wasn't allowed. It seems like that is something where folks are just really hyper, hyper vigilant. And, you know, we've, we're living in an age where Social media is just, it's its a part of everyone's life these days. And Linda, I'm wondering, are there other challenges around social media that you see in the healthcare environment? And what are some of the tools that you use as a privacy officer to address these challenges?
2: Uh, there certainly are a lot of challenges with the social media today. Uh, we have, you know, patients that will respond to a social media post. So we have to contact those patients and say, really, you should not be posting um, that kind of information. Please just contact us directly. We have a whole complaint process or comment line um, for patients to address that. Um, And I've worked closely with marketing also to kind of alleviate that. They'll forward anything to uh, me that they feel is not appropriately posted on social media. And then I do a lot of education with staff. Um, on social media, making them understand um, the importance of what's posted. You know, a lot of people are on social media, even the staff, um, just understanding what repercussions that could be in regards to compliance in the organization.
0: Thanks so much. So as we're wrapping up our conversation today, I would like to invite Tricia and Linda to offer your top two recommendations for safeguarding patients' PHI in the event, for instance, that there might be a negative online review or if there are other challenges around social media, what would be your top two recommendations that you would offer to our listeners to really help to safeguard patient protections?
1: Trish? Yeah. yeah. I think, um, you know, we've talked about it a lot already, but staff training on HIPAA with real world examples, I'm, I'm often met with questions on scenarios, you know, if this happens, what do I do? And there isn't this golden HIPAA book that you can just, you know, flip the page and have an answer. So, you know, having some critical um, question and answer thought um, processing, you know, discussion about, I think is really important. Um, and also having those documented policies and procedures so that there is a resource to, you know, look at. Um, I think, you know, staying up to date on all the ever changing regulations and, and things is really important as well. So between those two, just having, you know, the resources and, and the time available to your staff. That's fantastic.
0: Absolutely. And I will say that, you know, one of the resources that I always found very helpful was, was actually going to the Office for Civil Rights. They have a, a great, long list of uh, frequently asked questions about HIPAA privacy. So that can be a very effective resource for folks to use in the field. And Linda, I would really relish your thoughts. What would be your top two recommendations that you would offer to folks in healthcare environments? And I realize that you've worked in a number of settings. So, um, you know, maybe for a smaller practice organization, do you have recommendations?
2: Um, they're very, very similar to what Tricia said. Um, I can't, um, stress training, training, training. Um, we make sure that all of our, uh, new staff are trained. Um, staff get trained on a regular basis here. So training, training, training is really important. I also think encourage uh, communication. I think communicating, um, making sure that they're not just sitting there wondering if this is something they should or shouldn't do. Ask the question. Ask the question. I'll answer the question. Um, If I don't know the answer, I seek out the resources that I need. So I definitely agree everything that Trisha said and just that, you know, training and communication.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I have found that privacy rounds can actually be a great format as well, particularly if you're in a larger organization where you can be sort of the face to the uh, folks who will come up to you with some, you know, some very thoughtful questions. So, Again, thank you so much for sharing your insights today, Tricia and Linda. We've reached the conclusion of our discussion about maintaining HIPAA privacy in a world filled with online reviews. On behalf of Tricia and myself, we thank you for listening to this episode of Barry Dunn's Healthcare Insights Compliance Plus Ethics Equals Integrity podcast. Also, we would like to thank our guest presenter, Linda Green, for her presentation in today's podcast. We welcome our listeners' questions and feedback about the ideas that we discussed in today's episode, and we always welcome your suggestions for topics we should consider developing for future episodes. Many thanks.